Welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast, featuring fresh and lively commentary on all things Primal, including Q&A sessions with Primal Blueprint founder, Mark Sisson, special guest interviews hosted by Mark Sisson, and conversations with Primal Blueprint authors and other health and fitness experts. The show is presented by Damage Control, Master Formula, the world's most potent multivitamin, mineral, antioxidant, anti-aging supplement, available at primalblueprint.com. Past episodes are available for download or to review written summaries at blog.primalblueprint.com. Hey, Mark Sisson here with my good friend, Abel James. Um, Abel and I go back probably five years. Uh, we met at, I think, maybe an early Paleo FX. He's done some Primal Cons. Uh, he and his wife, Allison, are the most charming couple in the paleosphere. And uh, Abel's a best-selling author, musician, speaker, entrepreneur. He's got an app uh, called Caveman Feast that's like one of the top apps in the world. It bested the Food Network and Nickelodeon and even Angry Birds with more than a 1,000 five-star reviews. Is that right, Abel? That's right. Dude, that's so awesome. Anyway, welcome to the Primal Blueprint Podcast. Thanks, Mark. And um, today, among many other things, we're going to talk about your new book, The Wild Diet. Tell me when that comes out. April 7th. Okay. So- sooner than we all think. Yeah, that's, that's crazy. That's, that's exactly right. <laughs> uh, I can't believe we're already this far into 2015. Isn't it nuts? It is. Uh, so, um, you're the fat-burning man. That's right. And you know how near and dear that whole concept is to my heart. Sure. So, tell me about The Wild Diet diet and what it has to do with burning fat. Yeah. So basically the way that I see it is there's this whole (laughs) scene straight out of a horror movie, basically where most of our food comes from in America these days. It wasn't always that way, um, as as you and your listeners know well. Uh, But basically, if that's one world, the industrialized system that our food and our cars and and other you know goods come from, which seems to serve efficiency really well, but not necessarily your health. There's that whole world, and then there's the opposite of that: the wild world, the things that that were recently alive and well that thrive in their natural environment, eating foods that they're meant to eat, not right. foods that are that are stuffed down their throats or injected into them in some bizarre way. Right. I mean, uh, it, it's stranger than fiction, and uh, and I try not to dwell on that too much, but basically say what you say, Mark, with it, this doesn't need to be complicated. There are a lot of people and there are a lot of special interests, in fact, trying to keep us as as confounded as possible so that they can sell their magic pill. Uh, It's really a lot simpler than a lot of us are used to thinking. Okay. So the wild diet, what does it comprise? It's uh, mostly vegetables. So when whenever you're looking at a plate, you want to make sure that the volume comes from fibrous vegetables, and they should be as fresh as possible. Um, the other pieces of it are uh, are somewhat open, and depending on on who you are and what your particular style is. But what ours tend to look like are uh, a piece of meat, especially um, a fatty cut of meat from a good 
an animal raised in in the way that it was meant to be raised and uh we really like as foodies we're big fans of like game animals um i know mark you come from uh, a similar place to me actually you're you're from maine i'm from new hampshire middle of nowhere and we growing up we'd eat venison bear sometimes moose uh, all sorts of different flavorful meats and uh, so you want to make sure that that comes from the best possible animal source. And if it's a plant source, um, you want to be getting your your food calories from something that's delicious, like uh, like an avocado filled filled with fat. Uh, coconuts are also great with that, and uh, and rounded out with uh, with a fibrous carb. Uh, so so really, what you're looking at are these foods that are um, immensely filling, these, this roughage and this food that takes up ultimate size in your belly without um, driving all of your hormones out of whack, which is basically what happens when you eat processed food. So when you get away from processed food and eat foods that are intact and whole, then basically you let your, your body do the right kind of work. Okay. Now, uh, you know, I agree with you hundred yeah. <laughs> percent and you know, I'm on your side, totally. but I gotta, you know, I gotta, I gotta give you all the hard questions. So what is it you want your body to do? I mean, what's, what's the body going to do with this food that it couldn't do with a good cut of meat that I get down at, uh, you know, the supermarket or with the non-organic vegetables or with a baked potato? So I, I think you can, I know you can attest to that because I've eaten with you, Mark, but the, the fresher your food is, the more tastes it has within it. So we're used to eating food that, you know, if you go to a, a burger chain and then you take a look at the, uh, the fixins, what you see are these, these pale tomatoes and this wilted iceberg lettuce and maybe some onions if you're lucky that that taste like, you know, they taste like something, but they don't taste like a lot of things. But when you go for uh, food, you know, actually, we've, uh, for the past six months, been living off the grid and just traveling the world. And one of the coolest things when you go to a place uh, like Bali that's that's uh, volcanic is you can actually taste in the chocolate, in the coffee, and even in some of their fruits and vegetables, uh, the minerals that are in the soil. Uh, that's the way that it used to be. That's the way that food from uh, you know, organic farms uh, can taste. You you get instead of this one kind of vague uh, flavor of tomato, you you eat this ugly beefsteak tomato <laughs> that uh, you know that isn't just interesting to look at, but but colorful and uh, and tastes like. Uh, you know, it has almost like you're tasting a wine. It has a lot of fruity little nuances to it and these other kind of more grittier flavors. And once you open up your palate uh, to those sorts of flavors, it's hard to go back to processed food. That's a good point. I, I agree 100%. Um, and yeah, so now we look at the, why, why would I want to do um, a diet like this? And yeah, one of the reasons is health, but but perhaps an even more overpowering reason is it just tastes better. <laughs> right. You know, it just is more satisfying. And I make a claim in a lot of my talks that I do and a lot of uh, interviews that I do that I never put anything into my mouth that doesn't taste great. Yeah. You know, you can tell me that something is good for me and if and if I can choke it down, I'll be better off for it. Even though it doesn't taste that great, it's good for me. I'm not interested. Yeah. I got to have every bite of food I put in my mouth be great tasting because that's I'm a foodie in that regard. Yeah. Yeah. And uh, and I just don't want to waste my jaw muscles trying to chomp down <laughs> on something that isn't absolutely delicious. <laughs> You're so right about that. But we're used to eating tasteless food that's been doctored to taste like it's something. 
And, uh, and, and that's what I think a lot of people are experiencing every day without even knowing it, you know, because it's not just the obviously things that the things that are obviously bad for you, like Twinkies, you know, we all know that that's junk, but it's also when you go to, uh, you know, a, a Chinese restaurant or a Thai restaurant or something else, or a Mexican restaurant that your food is cooked in industrial oil and then impregnated with, with MSG and all sorts of chemicals. And it's, just kind of slathered over mediocre food to taste like right. something. So right. no, you can see, do better. You, you, you mentioned Bali, and that's one of my favorite places in the world. Bali is magic. I didn't know that. Yeah. Oh, yeah, my God. Yeah, absolutely. And um, uh, and then I like uh, Thailand a lot. And, yeah. and example you give of Thai food, like the difference between Thai food in the United States and <laughs> real Thai food in Thailand in some of the smaller villages Yeah is a huge and incredible difference. And like you say, you can taste, you, you can literally taste the minerals in the vegetables and you can taste the lemongrass isn't just a lemongrass extract. You know, <laughs> right. it's, it's actual lemongrass that they picked outside in the backyard. Oh, it's so cool. The tea or the soup or whatever. Yeah. I, I, in the book, I actually go into a little piece when we were in Thailand, we, you know, sat down at this tiny little island village restaurant and uh it didn't appear to be open but (laughs) we sat down and there was someone you know kind of like in the back and they came out and uh, they had this enormous menu i couldn't believe it was probably like eight pages uh just filled with different types of food uh none of which we really you know understood (laughs) right we uh we basically just ordered um you know a big family style meal and uh and the person who came out the, the chef as it turns out runs into the back and uh, he grabs this like handwoven basket, and then we see him bolt from the back of the restaurant. It just runs, you know, he's just sprinting toward this other, uh, this other restaurant. It looked like, or this other house that was a little ways away. And you know, he came back with this basket full of all of these fresh, crazy vegetables I'd never seen before. These roots, these spices, and uh, and fresh eggs from the chickens that were running back there. And he made the curry right in front of us. You know, like a lot of people don't especially Americans don't get to witness the ritual of right. preparing food. And, and it's uh man, we're missing out because it's one of the most beautiful things you can ever see is, is see how you, you, you can take all these crazy plants and then turn it into this, like the best soup you've ever tasted. Right. No, it's, 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 it's incredible to watch the food being prepared in that environment by people who understand the food, by people who, so appreciate food that they are willing to devote 30% of their day right. basically to the gathering and the, and the foraging and the preparation of food because it's that – it's just that p- part of the culture and we've lost that. I mean I'm, I'm trying to get back to that or trying to espouse that concept with my readers on Mark's Daily Apple yeah. in that it's, it's fine to spend a lot of time in the kitchen preparing and, and smelling the foods and listening to the crunches and the sounds and the sizzles. And being totally involved in the preparation of your food because we've we've sort of lost that. Oh, it's such a gift. You know, one of the coolest things is that uh, Allison, my wife, who you talked about earlier, she went from uh, you know she has kind of a in a good way an obsessive personality, and so she uh, when I met her was just getting out of being a professional video game player, and uh, she she kind of switched that along with me to focusing a lot of our energy on fresh food in the kitchen, and. Uh, and so now whenever she's she's from a huge Mormon family in in Arizona. And so when we go back for the holidays, um, Allison spends like almost all day cooking for all mm. the kids. And these kids are used to eating, you know, 
in in suburbia in in kind of average America these days, you see the same restaurants and strip malls repeat themselves every five minutes down the highway, and so they're used to eating, you know, at Applebee's and the the typical places that a lot of uh, kids eat because they don't have many other options if they're eating out, and uh, and so a lot of the parents weren't so sure about you know they were worried that they wouldn't like our food or, or Allison's food and. Uh, Man, it was such the opposite experience. It's like all these tiny little cousins are coming out, and they want they want to taste the tomatoes. They want to help us, uh, you know, make the salads and uh, and even make some of the you know pumpkin pie as a whole family when you eat mm. it together is a totally different thing than when you pick it up at Costco. It's it's uh, it's really changed their family in a lot of ways, and it's a beautiful thing. Yeah, that's interesting. You say that my my son. Um, loves to be the one who's uh, assigned the task of making pies at Thanksgiving, <laughs> and he otherwise has very little to do with cooking. But once it's his turn to do the pies, he is he is all in, man. That's so cute. Yeah, it's and crazy. that's that's what you want to see in kids too, right? Because it's uh, the world; it's not getting that much easier to eat, right? Especially if you're you know going off to college or you're in high school or whatever. God knows the the stuff that they served in our cafeteria was. <laughs> Uh, of flying. course, of course, of course. <laughs> but uh, man, when you when you see kids cooking and really getting into it, that's just the best thing. Yeah, and it sets them up for uh, a potentially successful lifestyle of energy and you know weight maintenance, yeah. and food and all of the things that you want for your kids too. So it's, it's like uh, it's yeah. like it runs on autopilot. If you know how to right. cook, even if you know how to scramble a few eggs, um, yep. you're not stuck eating Easy Mac every day. Yeah, exactly right. So um, you've been living off the grid. Uh, yeah. You know, you, you mentioned growing up in, or going to school in New Hampshire, and I grew up in Maine. So we know the backwoods pretty uh, significantly. Yeah. Uh, and now you've, you're have you based kind of out of Colorado now, but you've been living off the grid in an RV the last uh, <laughs> year or so? Yeah, it's been really cool. So it was last, I actually haven't recorded my show. I just started again, but not since last, uh, last April uh, or May. And we were in Austin for the past like six years, as you know, and uh, actually did a, a cool primal con there, which was a lot of fun. Yeah. And um, we decided to, uh, you know, we'll probably get old and boring and settle down and have kids in the next few years. So we decided to get our wiggles out and and do the opposite, right? And just travel as much as we can and, and live off the grid. So we sold everything. I sold my cars, my house, and uh, pretty much all of our stuff. And we immediately flew abroad. We went to uh, Fiji, Australia, Bali. We were in Thailand for a little bit and uh, we're going to Peru next week. And in between, we've been uh, actually living mostly in national and state parks, uh, just kind of all across the Southwest and some other parts of the country. And it's just been, uh, you wrote a whole book about, you know, recharging in the wilderness. And so <laughs> I can attest, yeah, yeah. No, it's, I'm, I'm, it's the I'm, real deal. I'm jealous because I write about it, but I don't do it like you are <laughs> right. like doing. It, you know, well, it's I try. Hard. Yeah, seriously, I try. I got yeah. a backyard, and I can wander <laughs> out in my backyard, and I can go for a hike, and I can go paddle. But to be really out in the middle of nature, and and not just to visit and then go home, but right. to to make that your home is a pretty uh, special time of life, I would imagine. Oh, it is, and uh, you know, it's so bizarre because you get you get used to spending your days in the woods, not really talking to anyone, not really, you find out that, that English isn't that useful of a language after all. (laughs) (laughs) And, uh, oh man, it was, uh, it was really interesting when we were living, uh, in, 
in a state park for it was a few weeks, probably like three weeks we were living up there and there was nobody there. You know, it's the off season going mountain biking and hiking every day. Uh, just the best. And it, pretty much living amongst the animals uh, and not really going into town except for maybe once a week to get supplies like water and uh, and a little bit of like greens or something like that. But when we came back into town, when we started to see, you know, all of the beautiful formations of rock and trees uh, turn into Hardee's, and, <laughs> you yeah. know, like Home Depot and then Lowe's and then Starbucks, it's just, wow, is that it's a powerful thing to kind of, you don't realize how much it messes with your head when you're deeply entrenched in it and you're used to seeing all of these signs of hamburgers and, you know, the newest movie and the newest crap you're supposed to buy. But when you drive back into it after a while being out of it, it's really hard. We were, we were actually, you know, borderline depressed for a few days, like being mm-hmm. stuck uh, in a city after that. Right. Um, right. So this all sounds phenomenal. It all sounds idyllic. It all sounds like something that not only people should do, but probably a lot of people would want to do if they had the means or if they yeah. had the time or if their family situation was such. But, you know, the reality of life kind of sits in and we can't, we can't have access to that sort of idyllic lifestyle. So how do we deal? What, what can we do? Do you talk about this in the book? Yeah. Uh, you know, how we can incorporate some of these strategies, if you will, into a truly modern lifestyle. Totally. Well, I, I guess the first thing would be kind of like a, a little cheat sheet to how you can do this right now, which is the first thing that we do when we get to a new town or a new city or whatever is look for the closest park. One of the reasons we do that is because we have a rambunctious yellow lab who's 75 pounds of pure energy, Uh, but also for ourselves, you know, like we try our very best to get outside, get some sun pretty much every day. And uh, I'll just give an example. Like we were staying with some friends out uh, out near uh, Irvine, California, and uh, they have dogs that they that they never really take out either. But we said, you know, why don't we just go out? for a hike. And they're like, well, we don't know if there's really anything around here. And, uh, and they looked it up and sure enough, like a 21 minute drive away, there's this enormous reserve. That's just, you know, nobody's there. You have it all to yourself. You can bring the dogs. And so we went out there on a Sunday and just had, you know, one of the best days, uh, a family could ever have. And, uh, so I, I think for a lot of people out there, it, it's easy to not take that little mm. trip of 21 minutes away. You know, for a lot of people, the closest park or creek or whatever connects you with nature is so close. And all you have to do, I mean, you have a map on whatever you're using to listen to this right now, <laughs> you know? Yeah, like, good point. Just look yeah. for the green space and and and, <laughs> and go there. <laughs> right, that's great. Um, you know, and I'm, and, and I'm going to do that right after this. I swear right. to God, I'm going to hike. I've got the bug again. Yeah. Um, so initially, uh, you're, you, you, you say you lost 20 pounds in 40 days eating bacon, chocolate, and butter. <laughs> All right. So that's, that's a bit um, hyperbolic, we sure. might say. But uh, well, so let, let's go into that a little bit. So here, here's what happened. Basically, the, the longer version of that story is uh, I, was, I worked my way through college and, and had some hefty loans. I took a job in consulting and uh, – and, when I took that job to pay off my loans, I also, for the first time in my life, you know, this is a really good job. And I had, um, the, basically the best insurance you can get. 
And so I went to the best doctors I could go to in Washington, D.C. for for months and basically said, well, okay, what, what, what sort of work can you do on me that will, you know, take advantage of this time in my life? I want to preempt all these conditions that my family struggled with. Uh, and, and so, you know, he... For the first time in my life, I really started seriously thinking about dieting or whatever because, you know, my uh, my family has a history of high blood pressure and thyroid problems and other things like that. And so he, um, I, I followed my doctor's advice and uh, kind of went down the traditional allopathic uh, path of, of <laughs> healing or preempting disease by giving it to you. <laughs> and right. so I was, uh, I was always a runner. But at that point, he said, uh, you know, you need to run more, you need to jog more, eat fewer calories, uh, and eat almost no fat. And uh, that was the first time in my life that I really went on a, on a low-fat, low-calorie diet. I was always an athlete. It was never really a problem. Um, but over the course of time, and it's not just, you know, the, the diet that came from from my doctor, but it was also a function of, you know, working uh, in consulting during the day, a desk job combined with moonlighting as a computer programmer and playing gigs at, at night on the weekend. It was a whole lifestyle thing. But basically I was, uh, I was following the American dream. And every time I went into the doctor, it was a little bit worse, you know, like my, my, uh, triglycerides had gone up or my blood pressure was a little bit higher, despite the fact that I'm eating lower and lower fat. Uh, and so I basically followed this rabbit hole to to the point where I looked in the mirror and I was you know twenty pounds overweight. Uh, if you look at the pictures of me, my my skin's all saggy. I looked like I was forty years old. And you were a young man at this. And point. I was like twenty twenty three, twenty four years old at this point. Yeah. Um, yeah. But you know what? I mean, I I kind of thought that was normal because everyone else in DC looked like that. I mean, if, you, <laughs> if you've ever been there or watched a political yeah. show, you kind of see what those people look like. But I mean, uh, you know, I didn't, I saw it happen to my dad. Uh, he was a, a stonemason, this, you know, strapping athletic barrel chested guy. And um, he went from having about two years of, of work being booked out in advance to um, the economy tanking and having no, no work whatsoever. So he had to take a desk job. And uh, I, I saw him, you know, pack on 30 plus pounds. And basically the same thing that I kind of saw happening to me, I'd already seen how that played out. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and I think a lot of us have, but we just kind of write it off to, oh, that's your genetics, or you're just getting old, that's what happens. Uh, and not, and not really like dialing in the diet or the, uh, the physicality that aspect of it, and, and certainly the lifestyle aspect, which is that we shouldn't be living like caged animals in rooms with you know, no right. uh, fake lights with them and fake plants and breathing in toxic fumes all day. It's, it's really a much bigger thing than just eating bacon. I mean, that's, it's a funny joke that we all abuse that we can get away with eating bacon um, and have, it, have something that delicious in our lives. But uh, the truth of the matter is that it's a much more holistic thing. So you... Um you know, cl- clearly when people look at you and Google your name and they come up with the washboard abs and they, they show all the poses. <laughs> all the, I, I took poses a page out of Mark Sisson's book with that <laughs> one. Exactly right. Uh, set myself up for that. So, uh, but anyway, so you, you clearly did something to fix it. When, when was the aha moment and, and how did that transition ultimately take place? Yeah, so it was, um, 
I'm, I've always loved to experiment on myself, even if I was drinking the wrong Kool-Aid, which happens sometimes. And so that's kind of the example that I tell about myself when I was overweight and sick in my early 20s, not because I'm special, uh, but because that's so normal, <laughs> because so many of us are, are used to that or maybe even experiencing that uh, right now. But for me, it was basically looking at myself in the mirror. I, I saw some pictures of myself and I was like, God, that doesn't look like me at all. And then, you know, my boss actually started ragging on me for getting fat. And I'm like, oh my God, like this, this clearly isn't working. What else is out there? And so I was, uh, you know, at the time really interested. I'd always been interested in the woo woo holistic side of things. Cause my mom, uh, is, uh, she's been a holistic healer, um, for decades and wrote a book about that. So there's always been that side, but I started to get into like the, the old bodybuilding, uh, opus books and, uh, and, and the, the deep underground pieces of bodybuilding culture from the sixties and the seventies, my brother watched pumping iron and he put on like 40 pounds of mass in the next six months. And I'm like, huh, like maybe there's something to this. And, uh, so it was, it was in that I came across the cyclical ketogenic diet and it was, uh, for the first time it kind of rang true. And it made sense that, that combining a, a fat adapted state and running off of fat as opposed to sugar makes a lot of sense, not only in terms of health, but also in terms of physique and, and performance. Right. So sickly ketogenic diet means you're, you're in ketosis sometimes, you're out of ketosis sometimes. Is that what you talk about in feasting and fasting in your book or is that in, a different concept? You know, in, it's kind of the same thing as related because what I've found uh, I, I've tried so many different eating styles and a lot of this is just like, who are you? What's your personality too? I mean, there's a lot of physiological stuff that happens. Uh, but for me, I, when I started, uh, experimenting with ketosis and, and going low carb and high fat, all of a sudden I realized I could go a lot longer without eating food, or I could go on a much longer hike, even days without food for the first time where it used to be, I'd, I'd be hangry. I'd get low energy. This was always a running joke in my family. I thought it was just who I was. Um, but the fasting and feasting, like for example, today, this is the seventh interview I've done because I like to, uh, batch them, but I haven't eaten anything. Um, mm -hmm. in the mornings I might have uh, a bit of fish oil or maybe some, um, you know, some supplements or some adaptogens or powdered greens or something like that. Maybe a bit of fruit or raw veggies, but basically raw, uh, food during the day, not really cooked food, um, aside from perhaps some bone broth or something like that, or a soup. And then the heavy meal would be at night. Uh, and I, I tried to do that to, um, yeah, it really comes from, living like I camp and doing that through college, you know, um, I found that it was kind of fun to go most of the day without eating and look forward to this big feast at night that you share with all the people that you're with and you really put some time into the meal. And so, uh, I, we find that that works really, really well for us. Like Allison also, sometimes she doesn't go as long without eating as I do. Like she'll have her first meal around, uh, noon, whereas mine might be three or, or even six. Um, but for the most part, skipping breakfast and certainly skipping carbs in the morning has been one of the biggest changes we've made that just, uh, it makes everything better. <laughs> yeah, I agree. I've been, I've been doing that for a long time. And it's what, what I would call, and, and others of us in the paleo community would call a compressed eating window. Yeah. You know, so you're doing a, a mini fast um, every day, uh, last meal might be seven o'clock, seven thirty at night, 
and then the next meal might not be till noon or one. In my case, and uh, Allison's case, perhaps, but maybe in your case, three, four, or five o'clock at night. Um, and then you, but you certainly enjoy. Uh, and, and by the way, you you enjoy the energy that you continue to have, even though right. you're not eating. And that's the huge part. That's the really freeing, empowering part of this whole strategy. Is it is knowing that you are getting through the day with even blood sugar, with an even energy and mood, and you're burning body fat to do it. It's the best. And and you really do. It's a different kind of energy than most people are used to, I think. When you start to experience it, it's just rocking, you know? Um, the, the idea, man, if I tried to tell myself a few years ago that I could go all day, like, basically putting on a show, right? Because you, you do seven one-hour shows, and it's, it's, yeah, it's very similar to playing music. Yeah. Um, it's a huge mental tax if you let it be one or if you eat some carbs. <laughs> but if you stay away from them, uh, and especially, this is a big thing, it, the, the cycle almost rewards itself. So it's like the bigger and more hearty and satisfying the meal you have the night before, um, the more energy you have the next day, up to a point. You obviously, you don't want to stuff yourself to the gills, but um, there is a temptation to see how little food you can get away with, and sometimes that can backfire if you have a really active next day. Right. Yeah, it's it, in this um, lifestyle that we've carved out for ourselves, which is pretty hectic on some ca- occasions, you do sort of have to plan ahead. And if you are going to fast or cut way back on what you eat, you, you probably need to be mindful of what's in store over the next 24-hour period so you don't so the wheels don't come off. Yeah. But by the same token, when you become good at burning fat, uh, there is this renewed ability to go long periods of time doing relatively uh, moderate intensity tasks. And you mentioned hiking without eating. That's one of the one of the strategies that we do in the new Primal Endurance book, which is to say, okay, oh, cool. once you once you become good at burning fat, rather than going out running twenty miles uh, and carrying a gel pack, why don't you go on a hike and bring some stuff along, but see how far you can go without eating anything, just yeah. drinking water. Yeah, because. If you're good at burning fat, you'll be able to perform at that level of that sort of low-level aerobic output just on fat alone and not tap, tap in your glycogen stores and not get lightheaded and all mm-hmm. of the other you know, stuff that we would come to expect if we were sugar burners. And then when you go and you eat your meal after, it's like your muscles are stoked. They're primed for that and they're ready to assimilate all of the nutrients and all the extra energy that's coming in a way that, that you wouldn't be if you were just kind of like shoveling food into your mouth all day. So it's another way to regain insulin sensitivity. That's right. <laughs> yeah. So um, you're, you, you're basically suggesting that people eat more healthy fats. And, you know, again, hey, look, you're preaching the choir with me, okay? Yeah. <laughs> but for the listeners, you know, I want to I delve deeply into this eating more fat and more healthy fats. And you said... Uh, you, the only thing you might take in in the morning might be some fish oil. I hope you take it in a capsule form. Um, but uh, <laughs> <laughs> Straight out of the liver. <laughs> straight out the liver, yeah. Squeeze the liver. Hold it up over your head and squeeze it out. So tell me a little bit more about healthy fats. We talked about avocado. We talked about some coconut oil. What are some of your other favorite healthy fats? I, I've always been a dairy fiend. I just – I love it. It doesn't work with everyone. Uh, in fact, my brother, uh, we were raised – uh, he was always the one who couldn't drink milk because he was uh, lactose intolerant. Uh, but it was interesting because he went on to work on an organic farm and actually still does that. And uh, it was on that farm he started making cheese and uh, and even tried not just the cheese but the milk. 
uh, that came from the grass-fed cows and wasn't uh, superheated or homogenized or doctored in any, you know, uh, any way that we're all used to in, in store-bought milk. He could drink that just fine. He could eat the yogurt. He could eat the cheese. Um, in fact, he, he quite liked it. And I think that's a cool thing that uh, I think a lot of people don't take advantage of. They're like, oh, I can't do dairy. The reason that most people can't do dairy, I think, is just because they're not getting their hands on the right kind of dairy. Because I, I think it's a crime that cheese whiz counts as dairy just as much as, you know, like a, a, a totally raw brie made by someone who has been studying making brie for 40 years. Right, right. It's, it's, it's a travesty. So for me, I love um, grass-fed heavy cream um, and butter. But Allison, she doesn't do quite as well with uh with like the milk solids or the lactose so Mm -hmm. if we're cooking especially high temperature ghee is great um i have trouble with olives which a lot of people that's it's like one of the best fats there is um but for whatever reason i don't get along with it neither does my mom it's just kind of like something so you need to kind of whatever they are whatever your healthy fat is i would say um if there's a rule to follow it would be as close to the natural world as possible. So you don't want things that have been heated, treated, adulterated, uh, or, you know, invented in your, uh, as a source of fat. You know, we all, it's, it's easy to forget the things that we've already experienced and like laughed about during a news bit 10 years ago. But you remember that stuff, I think it was what, Olestra, where you, oh, you geez, ate yeah. this stuff yeah. and then you were, you were subjected to anal leakage. I think anal leakage. That's it. right. Yeah. That was that was even uh, listed in the uh, uh, in the contraindications. Right. So if that's if they're admitting that that happens on the package, I mean, God knows that is not good for you. Obviously, um, but it doesn't matter. I mean, obviously that thing has has fallen out of fashion. But there are a lot of things just like that that we're eating right now without knowing it. So it's a matter of doing the work and making sure that whatever fat you're eating from avocados, coconut, uh, from from animals or anything else that is coming from someplace that's real and not uh, you know from market straight out of a marketer's mouth right right uh in the early uh parts of this interview you mentioned uh the base of your eating strategy still being vegetables and i agree with that yeah uh, but and you all also mentioned the fibrous component and i you know we'll both agree and note that in the last couple of years this concept of resistant starch yeah. uh, soluble and insoluble fibers uh being more prevalent in the diet and feeding the microbiota uh, being an important part of a healthy diet. Uh, let's talk a little bit more about that. Cool. So uh, it, if you look at animal studies, I love, uh, especially, you know, I studied brain science back in the day, so I'm a huge nerd, but I loved looking at animal studies. And if you look at different animals, you find that the diet that they eat um, is converted into energy in completely different ways. So if you look at a cat that's eating primarily meat, What's going on in the inside of its body compared to, say, a cow that's, that's eating grasses of different kinds with, with multiple fermentation <laughs> organs? I mean, it's a completely different thing, and we fall somewhere in between. So, um, yes, we can survive by eating you know, just meats um, if we needed to or if we had to. We could survive on a lot of things. But what's best for us is something that's in between. We're omnivores. And so when you're eating that roughage and that fiber – um, 
it's it's easy to forget or or never have learned that the vast majority of cells in and on your body aren't even human. Um, they're little uh, bacteria, and these bacteria play a fundamental role in um, taking the food that crosses your lips and turning it into actual you know cells that can operate within your body. For all of those, it, it, it's kind of like the human body is an ecosystem more than it's one unit. So acknowledging that you have to look at the food for those little guys, which is, you know, the resistant starch and the other things that you talked about, the fiber that you find in real food and that you don't find. This is the, this is the stuff that's been processed out of industrial food. So do you eat grains at all? Sometimes we do eat grains, um, but it's kind of of the sprouted quinoa ancient grain variety. It's not, we're not, um, making a big effort to eat them usually it'll be when we're eating out or occasionally we'll have some uh, you know doing a lot of international travel one of the things we do eat is rice uh, and i think that that has its place in, uh, in in the diet of some people i wouldn't i would hesitate to say that it's great for everyone but i know that um, at this point in our lives eating some rice at night with our with our evening meal or some quinoa or even some uh, legumes that have been treated the right way and come from the right place is a nice way to kind of get some variability in your diet. From more than anything else, it's not even like we're trying to eat grains for health. It's like we're trying to optimize the amount of foods all the time that we're getting. You want that diversity and you want to eat with the season. So it's something that we have a lot of fun doing. I like that. I like that a lot. And you know, when I when I get into a debate with uh, the very low carb group and I say, you know, that even even though I've been sort of painted in a corner as a carnivore with yeah. a blueprint, I still, if you look at my food pyramid, there's still vegetables at the base of it. Right. Um, and they say, well, you know, why is that? Is that because of health reasons? Are you acknowledging that you may be a closet vegetarian? I go, no, I just, <laughs> I just like the taste of vegetables and yeah. I want to include as many different forms of food in my eating strategy as possible so that I can, once again, enjoy every bite of food I put in my mouth. There are so many, especially, uh, you know, as Americans, we're robbed of a lot of the diversity that that other cultures get. Um, but when you go to uh, another country, like one of the islands, uh, especially, that has some of the, the fruit that only, you know, kind of grows there and only stays there, or some of the vegetables that you see, I mean, this stuff, the fruits taste like vegetables, the vegetables taste like fruits, and all of it is just so delicious from the texture. You know, some of the stuff uh, is, is really crunchy, which complements uh, something like a squishy meat really well, or, you know, completely on the other side where it's, where it's like pasty, or there's a lot more experimentation with with cuisine in other parts of the world, and that's something that I've tried to try to bring out the foodie in everyone because right. without experiencing that it's it's easy to say well i don't like that kind of food but when you really try it i mean there's so much stuff that i had no idea i would i could have done without eating some of the bugs that i did in other countries but you know yeah uh, you, hey, you try a little bit protein, of everything they're, they're good those cricket bars are pretty good those cricket <laughs> bars are awesome man <laughs> Okay, let's just uh, briefly tell me, are you working out still or are you just doing most of your exercise in the form of hiking and um, you know, enjoying nature just generally? You know, this is funny. I went out with, uh, with a friend of mine actually in California and we went out bouldering. This was back in August and uh, there was a jump from one, uh, one rock. It was kind of like a cliff face to another that I landed on and stuck it too hard, broke my foot. 
Mm. So all of these wonderful deadlifts, squats, presses, even pull-ups, because you have to you know jump up and down uh, to get up there, I, I couldn't do. So I couldn't do any of my workouts. Um, but meanwhile, I have to be fat-burning man, which is its own. Hey, dude, you can still do crunches <laughs> and curls. That's all totally, right. But uh, what I actually did is, uh, well, I'm like, screw it. And so I just went inverted. And uh, started doing handstand push-ups and, uh, and, and leg drains and using my, my hands as feet and uh, getting more into balance and mobility. And one thing that I've, that I've been doing for a while now that's really helped has been um, Qigong every morning. So it's like Tai Chi uh, balance type work, uh, sometimes a little bit of yoga, but I really, I used it as an excuse. Uh, I knew I should have been doing this anyway before I was injured. But you really should be working on not just your strength, but your mobility, your balance, your yeah. form, your symmetry, the boring stuff that, that you know, isn't that exciting. Yeah, because it doesn't burn calories. Right. But, it just, <laughs> but, it, but no, but I mean, I, I, you know, I'm, I'm, not in, uh, I'm not one who's in favor of cal- right. calories you burn. I'm all in favor of movement. And something like, like Tai Chi or Qigong, that just puts you through so many planes and ranges of motion. Right. And that's why you can do it whether you're 19 or whether you're, you know, 85. Right. Yeah. yeah. And and once I started doing that for a while and really focusing on that, I was shocked because I got personal bests in almost everything I did after. So after taking time away from those those big lists and focusing on all of the right stuff for a while, um, it, it made me come back so much stronger. Um, I even went, you know, I used an excuse. I, I try to give myself no excuses, you know, not to work out or not to succeed or whatever, because I think we're kind of from the same mold market where it's just, you know, 110% right. at, at all times. So, right, right. Um, you know, push-ups weren't enough. So I, I tried fingertip push-ups. Um, and at the beginning, I could do like three or five of them. And man, that hurts. It sucks. <laughs> you can and, do five fingertip push-ups? Jeez, yeah. I'm impressed. Well, I kept doing it. Yeah. And now I uh, I got to the point where I can do pretty much as many as I can do a regular push up. Oh wow! Um, just because you do you add a, a few a week or whatever, and eventually you get to the point where your bones start. You can watch your bones grow. Wow. You can watch your body adapt. And uh, and you know that I'm a guitar player as well, Mark. Uh, my guitar playing got way better because all of a sudden my hands are so much stronger, and I have more precision with where I'm putting everything. So it's it's just another way to kind of explain that it doesn't matter what your workout is. You just need to elect to think with whatever, uh, you know, situation that, that it, comes at you. Because after the situation. Yeah. yeah. And you now with, make the best now with fingertip it. pushups, you can cut like Ralph Macchio at the, <laughs> in Crossroads. That's right. You know what I'm talking about? I know exactly what you're talking about. All right. Uh, <laughs> speaking of which, by the way, you just finished recording an album in Nashville with uh, members of the Tim McGraw band. Yeah. It's, Tell me about that. It's totally crazy because um, – you know, Mark, you get, cause you share some of them, you get some really special notes from people sometimes, um, who have been affected by, you know, listening to your show or reading your blog or whatever. And so I got this one uh, a couple of years ago from a guy named Denny. And, uh, he said he was a musician out of Nashville and, uh, he just, it was a really genuine note that kind of resonated with me. And, uh, he said he'd lost 45 pounds and a lot of other people in the band had too. And then at the bottom, I looked down and it said, band leader of the tim mcgraw band and i was like oh my god like really 
and, and so we got on the phone and we chatted and I invited him on the show because, you know, losing weight on the road is something that a lot of people use as their excuse and is, is you know, to it be just fair, isn't done. It's, it's not done and it's really hard to do. Yeah. So um, little did I know, I thought I was just, you know, talking into a microphone on my computer, but like <laughs> the Tim McGraw band was listening and uh, having some real success with with some of this stuff. And so they came through Austin and Denny had me on, um, he, he took me on the tour bus and he introduced me to the rest of the band and they all, they're all like, Oh my God, fat burning man. And I'm like, you guys gotta be kidding me right now. And, uh, they said that like Billy, the keyboard player, um, told Allison that the only reason he was eating this way is because he could eat her coffee cake that was in one of our apps. And, uh, you know, they're showing off by like, they have these Brazil nuts and like all this fresh produce and, you know, they're drinking coffee and it was just so cool, um, to, to kind of see that that was the first time that I'd really felt like people were listening, you know, like really listening. That's so cool. Um, because they knew more about, you know, what I talked about than I did. <laughs> and, uh, then we just started jamming and I, uh, they invited me out to Nashville for a bit. And, uh, we accidentally recorded like this whole album with these, these guys. I mean, they're legends, like the bass player, uh, a Dave, a man named David, he's, uh, Bonnie Raitt said that he was badder than God, <laughs> <laughs> which like, I mean, he's played with Elton John, Billy Joel, Credence, like just unbelievable stuff. And so getting together with these guys, uh, and you know, fat burning man for me was kind of a departure from music. Actually, I'd, I'd been playing and going on tour for a while, just burned myself out. And it was easy enough to, you know, hook up my microphone and do a podcast instead, but getting, it, it's so hilarious and, and, and beautiful. I think that the podcast itself kind of pulled me back into that world. And, uh, yeah, so the album itself, we're calling it swamp thing. I think, <laughs> and uh, should be coming out in the next few months, probably by uh, by springtime. That's exciting. I'm sure you'll you'll let everybody know on your uh, on your podcast and on your websites and on your Instagram and on your Pinterest and your oh, Twitter and your Facebook and all oh, that stuff. Oh man, right? there's too much these days. There is. So speaking of all this, how do we find out about uh, the Wild Diet, the book, where to where to order it, and uh, and all of that good stuff? Well, we tried to make this simple for everyone, and it's wilddietbook.com is the best way to to go and grab it. But it's also available where books are available. So uh, it's pre-order right now. It's coming out on April 7th. And it's it's basically um, a lot of stories, uh, kind of memoirs that encapsulate really awesome, delicious, fat-heavy uh, recipes that will help you reach your goals as well. So we have, you know, pumpkin pie in there and cheesecake but we also have much more reasonable things like you know <laughs> salmon salad reasonable i mean <laughs> <laughs> so it's uh it's been so cool because it's it's so many family recipes that we've been eating you know for generations as my, my dad's side of the family is farmers and allison comes from uh you know a huge mormon family so they have some cool ones in there too and it's just been such a pleasure to uh to put it all together, and it's it's even always, better that it's done. <laughs> always, yeah, exactly. Always exciting to get those things finished and off to the off to the publisher. Right. Hey, Abel James, man, it's been great catching up with you. Um, I'm so jealous of your lifestyle right now. Uh, young, uh, beautiful wife traveling the country with your dog. I mean, there's <laughs> four songs right there, right? That's four songs, yeah. <laughs> exactly. Um, so glad you could join us today, and I'm uh, looking forward to catching up with you uh, what, Paleo FX maybe next? Yeah, we'll, we'll right. definitely see you there. 
Awesome. Well, thank you, Mark. I, I, I want everyone to know that I consider you uh, not only a true friend, but a mentor as well. So thank you so much for everything that, that you've done. I mean, it's really, it's changed the whole game. And I don't think I could have existed without you. <laughs> appreciate, appreciate that, man. I mean it. Yeah. So right. thank you, Mark. And thank take, you for take listening. Care. Cheers. All right. And this is Mark signing off from the Malibu Studios. Safeguard your health with the most comprehensive all-in-one nutritional supplement on the planet. Primal Nutrition's Damage Control Master Formula. Forget mixing and matching with multiple bottles of individual agents. Now you can just take a single packet of the most potent and optimally balanced multivitamin, multimineral, antioxidant formula available on the market. You'll enjoy complete immune system, cardiovascular, memory, nerve, bone, liver, and anti-stress support, and much more. With 51 research-proven ingredients, Damage Control Master Formula helps you combat oxidative damage in every cell and every system in your body and shore up any dietary shortcomings with complete protection. Order Damage Control Master Formula today at PrimalBlueprint.com and check out the incredible free shipping offer for our convenient and custom-designed auto-ship program.